and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series Online Edition. Uh, I'm Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, tonight. I uh, wanted to have with us our good friend, Dr. Kevin Nadal, to present to us his article, The Brown Asian American Movement, Advocating for South Asian, Southeast Asian, and Filipino American Communities, which was published by the Asian American Policy Review in February 2020. Uh, last month was Asian Pacific American Islander Heritage Month, and as Dr. Nadal pointed out through social media you know, throughout the month, uh, most of the time people, when they uh, talk about Asian Americans, they usually talk about East Asians and often uh, uh, forget about uh, brown a Asians and their contributions to Asian American history in this country. So we thought it would be a good idea for him to present his article and to you know, uh, enlighten us with uh, sort of the contributions that uh, this great community has also contributed to Asian American history. Uh, Dr. Nadal has presented at the Institute numerous times, most recently in fall 2021, uh, on his new book, Queering Law and Order. Uh, the video for that talk is available on our website, and you can watch it after this presentation um, or during the weekend at your leisure. Uh, Kev Kevin Nadal is a professor of psychology at John Jay uh, College of Criminal Justice and the CUNY Graduate Center. He's a leading researcher in understanding the impacts of microaggressions on the mental and physical health of people of color the LGBTQ community, and other marginalized groups. Uh, he has published over 100 works in the multicultural issues in the fields of psychology and education, and is the author of 10 books, including Filipino American Psychology, uh, That's So Gay, Microaggressions and the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Community, Microaggressions and the Traumatic Stress, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Queering Law and Order. Dr. Nadal is the first openly gay president of the Asian American Psychology Association and the first person of color to serve as the executive director of the Center for LGBTQ Studies. He's also the vice president and national trustee of the Filipino American National Historical Society and a founder of the LGBTQ Scholars of Color National Network. Uh, he's received numerous awards, uh, most recently uh, the 2019 Richard uh, Tuke Sperry Award from the Western Society of Crimin Criminology and the Thought Leadership Award from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Uh, Dr. Nadal is also editorial board member of the Institute's academic journal, CUNY Forum, uh, which is spearheaded by our editor-in-chief, Russell Leon, who is also in attendance tonight uh, watching this talk. And please welcome Dr. Kevin Nadal. Hi. Hi. Uh... Today we'll talk a little bit about the Brown Asian American movement. And as Anthony had mentioned, um, I had written about this in um, a paper of the uh, Harvard Asian American Policy Review um, in 2020. And one of the reasons why I wrote this was because um, I wanted us to be able to have conversations about the diversity of the Asian American community. Um, when we think about Asian American communities, we're talking about 40 or 50 distinct ethnic groups here in the United States uh, with unique histories, uh, with unique immigration patterns, um, with unique social cultural experiences here in the United States. Um, and so as we begin this conversation about Asian Americans, um, and specifically today of Asian Americans, oftentimes we group in Pacific Islanders into a larger umbrella of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, um, I hope that we can just really start to think about the ways that dynamics have formed within our communities, um, as well as the ways that we can try to improve uh, our relationships with each other um, in the common goal of advocating for social justice and equity. So I, I begin with that um, as a way of even just asking folks to reflect um, on some of their experiences, um, on asking folks to think about uh, the types of 
privileges that they may have within Asian American communities, as well as within general American society. Um, when I say that, um, I'm talking about the ways in which people may have identities that match majority culture, uh, which may make it easier to navigate certain parts of society. Um, as an example, um, as a male identified person um, who is more or less someone who identifies as my uh, assigned sex at birth, um, I have to recognize the types of privileges I have as a result of being a man in this society, uh, the ways in which people may view me differently um, than they might of cisgender women or of transgender people or non-binary people in general. Uh, I have to recognize uh, that generally speaking, um, men may uh, make more money than women um, and even men of color may make more money um, than women of color. Um, it doesn't negate the fact that I still have other marginalized identities, such as my racial background or my sexual orientation background, um, but uh, it means that I have to be aware of how some of uh, those experiences um, may result um, in my being able uh, to navigate the world more smoothly. Um, when I also think about my privileged identities, I think about things um, like my ability status, the, uh, my understanding that I have uh, the ability to uh, navigate certain spaces uh, physically and psychologically um, that uh, many people with disabilities may have more difficulty navigating. Um, so for example, when I go to places, especially places that are new, um, as an able-bodied person, I might not necessarily even think about the ways um, in which I might not be able to get inside that building. Or um, maybe that uh, if I'm a person who uses a wheelchair for mobility, uh, that the ramp um, that is supposed to be accessible for me uh, might be broken or might be covered in snow or any number of things that people with disabilities may think about. Um, and so in understanding that privileged identity, you know, I, I have to um, realize that there are ways in which the world is unfair for people with historically marginalized identities um, and advocate um, for the ways that we can make it more equitable for everyone. As a final example, um, as somebody who is generally a cisgender person, meaning that I identify with my sex assigned at birth, um, I recognize the ways in which transgender people and non-binary people um, may experience systemic and interpersonal discrimination and oppression. Um, as a uh, more or less cisgender person, I consider myself to be more gender flexible, um, but just as a generally more um, cisgender person, um, I might not think of something as simple as um, whether or not uh, I would be able to use a restroom that matches my gender identity. Um, we know that there's research that has indicated that people of trans experience um, may have difficulty using public facilities because of uh, the many um, barriers that may exist, as well as the potential violence um, that they may experience um, as a result of that. Um, and so uh, for me, as a generally cisgender person, um, I have to uh, be mindful of the ways that I have privilege, um, and then also think about the ways um, in which that, uh, in which others don't, and in which I may need to advocate uh, for social justice and equity. So when I think about Asian American communities, um, similar rules apply. Um, as uh, a man in Asian American communities, um, I recognize uh, that there is a privilege, um, that there is oftentimes um, a power dynamic 
that occurs um, in which men of uh, families or communities or community organizations um, are uh, taken more seriously, are given more respect, um, are uh, viewed as more authoritative um, in some ways. And so that's a privilege that I might have um, as a person with a doctorate degree, um, as a person who's an academic and a scholar. Um, similarly, I, I might be given more credence or opportunities um, or viewed as being uh, more uh, uh, intellectual, um, which is a privilege that I have to recognize. Um, and so in doing so, you know, I think it's so important for, for us to, to think about our identities um, and how uh, we need to be better um, at advocating for equity for all. So if you are an East Asian person, we're going to talk today a little bit about how East Asian Americans um, may have some privileges within Asian American communities um, because many people may view uh, East Asians as being uh, the uh, central focus of Asian American communities, Asian American studies, Asian American movements, and so forth. Um, similarly, we think about uh, how heterosexual people and cisgender people um, have been centered and focused and been primary voices within Asian American movements. Similarly, we think about uh, people who um, come from um, edu higher educational backgrounds as having more voice in Asian American movement. And so these are the types of things um, that I hope that we can discuss today. Um, I, I also just want to acknowledge history. So when we think about um, Asian American movements, um, we always have to go back to history. Um, many people throughout Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month um, were able to think about uh, the many ways in which Asian American communities were formed. Um, and when we think about um, Asian American, even as a term, um, we have to acknowledge um, that that in itself uh, didn't even come to fruition until the 1960s, uh, when Chinese, Japanese, and Filipino students um, on the West Coast uh, decided to start calling themselves um, Asian Americans. Um, there was an intentionality of using this terminology as a way of, uh, of building coalitions across people of these different ethnic groups. Um, while people of, of uh, Chinese, Japanese, and Filipino descent had been in the country at the time um, for decades, even centuries, um, that they didn't necessarily work in solidarity with each other. Uh, they viewed themselves as members of their specific ethnic group. And for some of them, um, they view themselves even as members of their specific subgroup within their national identity. For example, um, many of the Filipinos who came uh, in the early 1900s uh, identified as Ilocano or Visayan or Tagalog as opposed to this national Filipino identity. Um, and so there was this intentionality for people of Asian descent um, at the time um, to use this term Asian American as a way of uh, of, of intentionally building these communities. Um, before that, there were a lot of other terms that people used to describe people of Asian descent, um, terms that we might view as slurs today, um, things like um, Oriental or Asiatic or other um, terms that were given to people of Asian descent, um, that they uh, were um, named by others, particularly white people and white anthropologists, um, and not given the opportunity to name themselves. And so when those uh, earlier students and scholars uh, were able to 
to name their group as Asian Americans, um, that was a sense of, of self-determination or group uh, determination, um, that this was something that they were choosing to call themselves. With that, we have to recognize how the rest of the Asian American movement um, began to form and what were some of the dynamics um, that started to, uh, to be created. Well, first, um, if you look at the history of Asian American movement in the 1960s, um, which led to um, the formation of ethnic studies in the late 1960s and the early 1970s, um, we pay attention to um, whose voices were most central um, and whose uh, experiences and identities um, were deemed as Asian American. Um, when you look at some of those earlier uh, protests and uh, forms of activism, you might see signs um, like yellow power. Um, and that in itself already started to paint the picture or set the tone um, for how Asian American movements um, might be, uh, might develop in the future. Um, at the time, um, again, the three largest ethnic groups uh, were Filipino, Japanese, and Chinese American. Um, and so perhaps this yellow power movement um, was something uh, that people of Chinese or Japanese descent may have felt more connected to, that this was something that was uh, a way of their um, uh, of, of their paralleling uh, the Black Power movement at the time um, or the Brown Power movement um, that the Chicano Latinos on the West Coast uh, started to uh, proclaim for themselves. Uh, but for the Filipinos at the time, the 1970s, um, they protested that term. Um, they didn't identify as yellow, they identified as brown. I um, mean, so as early as 1972 at the first Asian uh, mental health conference held in California, um, a brown Asian caucus formed um, that uh, Filipino Americans, as well as some uh, Native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders said, we need to have a space um, where we can proclaim our brown Asian identities. Um, and so this Brown Asian Caucus um, formed, um, which then it was also uh, the first documentation of the term um, Brown Asian um, ever being used. Um, we also have to think about the historical context of, of all of this. Uh, at the time, those three groups were here uh, because they had migrated as uh, early as the 1700s um, to come here to the United States um, as migrant workers. Um, and so those groups were the, the three groups. Um, it wasn't until uh, 1970s that we started to see uh, an influx of Southeast Asians, um, many who came over as refugees. Um, and, and so Asian American community by that time had already been formed. Um, and the term Asian American had already started to be used. Um, movements and political organizing had already begun um, for this group. Um, and so these uh, new immigrants that came uh, during the time were simply joining um, what was already in existence. And so even though uh, there may have been um, other brown people, in this case, Southeast Asian refugees uh, that came uh, to the United States during this time, um, that uh, they, they were joining a group that was already in existence. Um, so imagine, you know, being somebody who joins um, a, a workplace setting that had already been around um, for a decade or two, that there were already sort of uh, group dynamics and uh, rules and behaviors um, that were already set. And so when uh, these groups came in, um, they, they merely uh, tried to fit in into this general Asian American dynamic. 
Um, South Asians also started to come as early as the 1800s, um, but didn't really come in larger numbers until uh, the 1960s with the passage of the 1965 Immigration and Naturalization Act, which put an end to the quotas um, from different countries entering the United States. Um, and so when, um, again, we think about um, other brown Asians coming into this country, uh, coming um, in the 1960s as immigrants who may not necessarily have been um, as politically organized or as interested in some of the local um, politics of the uh, American born um, or American raised Asian people who had been here for decades, um, that they were didn't identify as part of this meeting, even though India was in Asia or is in Asia, um, that wasn't part of their experience when they came here into the United States. Um, in fact, um, Asian people of South Asian descent um, weren't considered Asian even by the U.S. Census. And that wasn't until advocacy um, in the 80s and 90s um, that South Asian people um, were even identified as South Asian. In fact, me saying South Asian um, is something that wouldn't even have been used before. They would have said people um, from India or the subcontinent of India, um, and uh, and they were not classified as Asian. They had prior, uh, previously been classified as white. Um, and so there's complexities uh, to this Asian American um, identity, complexities to how uh, different groups had formed um, this Asian American uh, umbrella group. Um, and again, um, the, the ways in which people may have been um, centered or focused on or viewed as Asian um, is uh, began to, to form during this time, which may have resulted um, in the types of dynamics that we have today. Um, when Asian American Studies was first born um, in California on the West Coast, um, many of the earlier writings were uh, focused on um, perspectives of Chinese and Japanese Americans. Um, some of the earliest classes in, in ethnic studies and Asian American studies in the 1960s um, in San Francisco State um, University specifically um, were taught by Chinese and Japanese uh, American people. Um, and so um, even the formation of, of this movement and specifically of Asian American studies um, from the start that this, uh, the, the, the voice that was written about um, was through an East Asian American lens. Now, it's also important just to acknowledge that there were other groups um, that were there, um, but perhaps that, you know, their voices just weren't as heard as much. Um, in the 1970s uh, is when many Filipino Americans started to be more vocal um, about this. Um, and in fact, in the 1980s is when Fred Cordova um, of the Filipino American National Historical Society uh, first wrote his book, uh, Filipinos Forgotten Asians. Um, and um, his uh, impetus for writing that text um, was uh, to start that conversation that why is it that Filipinos um, who had been here for similar amounts of time as Chinese Americans and Japanese Americans, um, Filipinos who were the first to land in the what is now known as the United States in the early 1500s, the first to have settlements um, in the United States in Louisiana in the 1700s, um, why was there so little conversation um, about them? Why were they um, so missing from that conversation. Um, his wife, Dr. Dorothy uh, Cordova, Ligo Cordova, founded the Filipino American National Historical Society um, because she wanted to make sure that the history of Filipino Americans um, was documented and preserved and taught uh, to future generations. 
Um, and so that's an organization um, that I'm a part of today, uh, which still um, focuses on promoting Philippine American history and oftentimes still finds ourselves um, being uh, this forgotten Asian American ethnic group. Um, similar kinds of, uh, of dynamics have happened um, with uh, other Asian groups as well. Um, South Asians um, had uh, fought to be a part of this Asian American um, uh, category um, in the U.S. Census. Um, and as they began to uh, enter Asian American studies, um, they found that they were underrepresented or that um, their voices weren't viewed as uh, being as uh, important or relatable or as um, as central as East Asian Americans. Um, there uh, was a book in the early 2000s, Apart Yet Apart, um, and uh, the book focused on the many ways that South Asian Americans have been both included and excluded um, from Asian American movements. Um, and so this conversation about in inclusion and exclusion um, of Asian Americans has been around for decades, um, but it's one um, that we're still very much struggling with. Um, there was another study uh, that uh, emerged in the early 2000s by um, a Southeast Asian scholar who described how Asian American studies conferences tended to focus primarily um, on uh, pre uh, proposals or presentations um, of people of East Asian American descent. Um, and so when this foundation, um, the Association for Asian American Studies, um, which is supposed to be one that is uh, representative of all Asian American communities, um, is uh, uh, promoting um, majority East Asian American scholarship and um, leadership and even, um, you know, historical, sociological, psychological uh, content, data, uh, literature, um, then that sets the tone for who gets uh, excluded from those conversations. Another thing just to point out is even just leadership and um, who gets to be the leaders of certain Asian American organizations. Um, when I think about my own uh, organization that I've been part of, and I even served as president, uh, the Asian American Psychological Association, which was founded in 1972 by Daryl Wing Sue um, and Stanley Sue in California, um, most of the leadership for 30 years had been East Asian American. Most of the leadership had also been East Asian American men. Um, the first uh, woman president didn't emerge until 20 or 30 years um, into the organization. So again, thinking about the intersections of power identities, uh, power and privileged identities, um, not just based on, on race or ethnicity, uh, but also based um, on gender. Um, within the Asian American Psychological Association, uh, a, a, an organization that was established in 1972, uh, so almost 50 years ago, um, there had never been um, a South Asian president until now. Most recently, a South Asian American president was elected uh, for this upcoming term, making her the first South Asian person to be president of an organization that had been in existence for 50 years. So these are the types of things um, that I hope that we can uh, talk about and uh, discuss 
within our communities um, in order to ensure uh, that we all are, are all um, being as inclusive as possible, as well as advocating collectively um, for social justice. I mean, another thing that I just want to mention is just, you know, for, for us to be really aware um, of, of the types of language that we use um, when we even use the term Asian. Who are we really talking about um, when we say Asian? And who are we really talking about when we say um, API or Asian American and Pacific Islander? Um, when uh, you know, we started to recognize um, that many people uh, were, um, were starting to be uh, physically assaulted, um, even killed, um, these, this past uh, 16 months as a result of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it had been labeled as anti-Asian racism um, and had many people, scholars, media, uh, reporters, um, even began to say things like um, there has been a recent uh, uptick or recent rise um, in anti-Asian hate crimes um, in the United States. And what they are reporting is true, um, that COVID-19 um, and its uh, aftermath and the, the racist rhetoric um, that was especially spewed by um, uh, presidential, uh, by the president of uh, the before and, and of other uh, people in, in high powerful leadership positions, um, that, that there has been an increase in hate crimes um, towards people of Asian descent. Um, but we also recognize um, that people of South Asian descent has, have experienced lots of racism um, and hate crimes even before um, this past COVID-19 pandemic uh, that we're still currently in. Um, that after 9-11, there was a significant increase um, in hate violence uh, towards South Asian people or people of Muslim descent or people who are perceived um, as being Muslim. Um, in fact, there's uh, been a lot of cases um, of Sikh people, um, South Asian people uh, who were, are Sikh or practice Sikhism, um, who were um, being uh, racially targeted, um, uh, physically assaulted and even killed um, because people perceived that they were Muslim. Um, yet that was not labeled as being an increase in anti-Asian violence. And so these are the things um, that we think about. Um, for me, I think it's also just important just to note um, that within this country, when we say Asian, uh, many people might automatically think about East Asian people, um, but in other places, that might not be the case. Um, in fact, in the UK, uh, because of the history of colonialism and India um, and other countries uh, in South Asia, um, that I, when people say Asian in, um, in uh, the United Kingdom, um, they actually think of people of South Asian descent first. Um, and that when they refer to people um, of different East, of different Asian backgrounds, Chinese, Japanese, um, or Filipino people, they refer to them by their ethnic group. Um, and so the historical context of certain countries may determine um, who gets to be Asian um, and who doesn't. So within the United States, as I had mentioned, um, based on um, the formations of Asian American movements, based on um, the immigration patterns of Chinese and Japanese Americans um, arriving in larger numbers first, um, outnumbering the number of Filipinos that were here, um, that that becomes um, the common narrative. Um, I also think it's important for people to, to think about who gets celebrated um, and who doesn't get celebrated. Um, in recent years, we've seen an increase in uh, Asian American media representation. 
um, 10 years ago is when uh, the TV show Fresh Off the Boat uh, first came out, um, and it was deemed um, the second Asian-American um, primetime uh, television show since Margaret Cho's All-American Girl um, from 20 years prior. Um, and so even just thinking about that, that this was Fresh Off the Boat was something that was viewed as this Asian-American um, television show. Um, never mind that people like uh, Mindy Kaling and um, Aziz Asnari um, had their own television shows as well. Um, when Crazy Rich Asians came out uh, now just a few years ago, um, that, that was deemed this uh, Asian-American film that everyone should watch and celebrate. And um, some people refer to it as uh, the Black Panther for Asian-Americans. Um, and to, again, acknowledge um, what about some of uh, uh, these other movies that had starred South Asian characters, um, why were those types of movies um, being uh, supported as uh, part of the Asian American community itself? Um, but, but I, you know, I just want people just to think about what are some of the, the current dynamics um, that we recognize happening um, among Asian Americans? Um, and what are the ways in which we can go back to those original um, intentions of forming Asian American communities, um, which was uh, to build coalitions among ethnic groups so that we could have a more uh, solid and stronger voice uh, when advocating for political issues. That was the original impetus for these Chinese, Japanese, and Filipino Americans um, who began to organize as Asian Americans in the 1960s, um, was to build the, the coalitions across ethnic groups so that there could be a stronger, more united voice. Um, how can we do that without leaving people behind? How can we do that um, while being aware of some of these dynamics that exist? Um, and how can we do that while also just ensuring um, that we are celebrating each other, that we are recognizing the historical uh, traumas that may have resulted from some of uh, these dynamics? Um, how do we have conversations about things like colorism and xenophobia and uh, sexism, heterosexism, uh, cissexism? Um, how do we have those conversations while also uh, still trying to uplift and empower um, others from our community? Um, a, a last piece that I'll just share um, that just came to my mind um, was this notion of how um, uh, related to who gets celebrated um, as Asian American. Um, you know, when uh, Vice President uh, Harris was elected alongside with President Biden, um, she became the first woman vice president, um, the first black vice president, and now even the first Asian American vice president. Um, and while I think that was recognized in general, um, I also feel like there wasn't as much recognition as there could have been. Um, in fact, there was, um, even on inauguration day itself, there were lots of people that were tweeting and I've received emails um, where people were saying like, it's so sad that we don't, we're not seeing that many Asian American people on screen, um, recognizing the lack of Asian people in cabinet positions or um, as uh, senators or Congress people. Um, but we have a vice president who's of Asian descent. Um, and so what makes it uh, her invisible or what makes uh, people generally not view her as part of the community. Um, and it, it could be complicated. It could be not just because she's South Asian, um, but also because she's multiracial. 
Um, we know that multiracial people are, are oftentimes deemed not Asian enough or Asian American enough. Um, and could it be that because she's also Black? Um, and so uh, the anti-Blackness um, that is a part um, of Asian American uh, communities and families, um, maybe that may contribute to that as well. So um, I'm gonna end here. Uh, I would love to hear some of your uh, comments, questions, and even if I can't see you, uh, I, I look forward to, um, to having dialogue so we can learn more from each other. What, where are some resources that uh, folks can go to in order to catch up on all this uh, missing information that uh, in, in their consciousness, you know, out there? Sure. I mean, I think one thing that's really simple is um, to download my article. It's free and it's accessible. Uh, accessible. Uh, it's called uh, The Brown Asian American Movement, um, Advocating for South Asian, Southeast Asian and Filipino American Communities. Um, I, I tried my best to include as much historical context um, to cite resources um, of different studies that had emerged over the years. Um, and, I, and I hope that that can be some reading um, that can start some of this uh, conversation or even this awareness. Um, if people are unaware of uh, you know, some of the controversies um, or even some of the writings um, that have existed, um, I hope that you know, that article uh, may have captured uh, at least some of that. Um, I think it's also important just to look up, um, you know, just on social media, on Twitter, there have been lots of conversations about brown Asians. Um, so look up hashtags brown Asians or hashtags, uh, hashtag brown Asians exist. Um, and there have been many moments um, in even contemporary history in which brown Asians have been excluded. Um, so the hashtag brown Asians exist, for example, emerged um, after a New York Times uh, video documentary uh, was uh, released, um, which was supposed to be about Asian American experiences, um, but they didn't feature any South Asians and maybe one Filipino voice out of, you know, 20 people that were interviewed or something like that. Um, and so, you know, thinking about those um, sorts of instances that, you know, aren't from the 1970s, but are from present day, you know, within um, the past five years or so, um, why does this continue to be um, such a, uh, you know, a, 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 a continue to be a, a trend um, that um, we experience, you know, in, in within our communities? Hey, thank, hey thanks, Kevin. Uh, great talk, uh, as usual. And I just wanted to say two resources, which I think are pretty good, and they've been doing it for a long time, are UCLA Asian American Studies, because uh, they actually... Yep put out quite a bit on many groups, including, especially mm -hmm. on Filipino Americans. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, Enrique De La Cruz did a two volume uh, set on, you know, um, sort of uh, from 1898 to the present and sort of talking about the uh, Filipino Americans uh, resistance uh, yeah. and also the anti-Marcos uh, type of thing. And also, you know, of course, as you know, you know, we put out a lot on, uh, uh, LGBT, uh, gay marriage, so mm -hmm. forth, and advancing justice, of course, even though it was actually founded by an East Asian, uh, Stuart Quo, but yeah. actually for many, many um, legal uh, cases, uh, for instance, you know, Thai garment workers, yeah. uh, uh, Asians, Asian and Latino uh, uh, kind of co-issues, I think mm -hmm. they've been kind of uh, on the forefront. 
Uh, I just wanted to say, since I was, you know, uh, at San Francisco State in the 60s, 1968, and, yeah. you know, I think I, I, I was one of the people that designed the yellow power poster. The reason why um, we used yellow power at the time is part, part of it is because, as you know, uh, from the 19th century onwards, the term yellow pearl uh, mm -hmm. was used. So yellow power is kind of like taking it, you know, mm -hmm. kind of taking it back and throwing it back. So it was, I think, uh, not meant to be uh, exclusive of uh, sure. brown people, but more in terms of uh, responding to the yellow peril type of uh, um, language or rhetoric mm -hmm. that have been, you know, uh, uh, yeah. given to us. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, uh, you know, uh, yeah. make that point, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Russell. And thank you for bringing up personal history. I think this is why it's so important. Um, yeah, and I want to just reemphasize that I don't think there was any malicious intent um, when people uh, were um, using phrases like yellow power or even in the earlier, um, uh, you know, development of Asian American studies. I don't think East Asians ever said things like, oh, let's focus on us only, um, but rather that these are the scholars who emerged and they were writing about their experiences and, um, you know, growing up as Chinese or Japanese American um, and through their lenses and through their context. Um, and they were, uh, you know, the ones who uh, were able to publish and, you know, uh, get these academic positions and so forth. Um, and so that's, you know, essentially part of how that happened. Um, and so I don't think there was ever any malicious intent. And so I, I have to be really, you know, um, clear about that. Um, and I think there are a lot of things that many of us do where there isn't malicious intent, um, but because of our privileged identities, we might not recognize the ways that we are exclusive. Um, as an example, um, when it comes to the LGBTQ movement, and it's appropriate to talk about this because it's Pride Month, um, earliest LGBTQ organization centered on gay men. Um, maybe later focus a little bit more on lesbian women, um, but tended to exclude um, bisexual people or people who identified um, as something else. Um, and even was overtly violent, hostile, um, exclusionary towards transgender people who they just simply didn't understand or um, didn't think uh, were part of the movement. And in many ways they viewed as um, being hindrances to the movement. Um, if you look up um, uh, one time Sylvia Rivera, uh, uh, who is now known as one of the mothers of uh, the LGBTQ movement, trans Latina woman, um, that she was booed off of, state, of, of a stage um, of a, a, a gay rights um, protest or demonstration um, because she, you know, was a trans woman or a drag queen identified person. Um, and and so again, like I think. Um, that might not have been like for some people a malicious thing to exclude trans people for some people it was in that they booed Sylvia Rivera off of stage. Um, but, um, but I, you know, I think it, what it is is that people were speaking from their own experiences. Um, so gay and lesbian people were speaking from their experiences and because maybe they weren't thinking about trans experiences, trans experiences were um, excluded. Um, you know, similarly, like I think heterosexual people speak from their experiences. Um, and so maybe this is why there wasn't as strong of a queer voice um, in earlier Asian American studies. I think there definitely have been moves, um, but you know, that, that came in time. Um, and so, you know, I, I appreciate 
um, you know, hearing that perspective. And, you know, I hope that people can, um, you know, continue just to, to, to be open to, you know, the ways in which we can be better. Um, maybe we didn't intend to exclude people, um, but, you know, what are some ways that we can now move uh, towards that? Right. Um, I, you know, I think one thing that, you know, we think about are some of the, the, there, there were overt tensions, um, in the late 1990s within the, um, the Association for Asian American Studies. There was a huge controversy that we don't have to go into detail about, um, but in which Filipino Americans, um, protested the organization, um, because they viewed the organization as being supportive of anti-Filipino, um, rhetoric. Um, and so, you know, that's something that was, uh, uh, something that was, was a, you know, a vocal um, people were aware of. Um, and that was over 20 years ago, 1998, 20 years ago. Um, but we're still talking about, um, you know, these things today. So, so even with what, even if it wasn't intentional um, for us to, to, to understand that some people may have felt left out or marginalized um, and then to, again, to move, um, uh, forward in, in thinking about ways that we can um, be uh, advocates for, for equity, justice, and inclusion. No, I mean, I, you know, I agree. I guess the other, I just have one, one more small comment. Uh, sure. It, it's sort of a, an example. One time I was at a Asia Society meeting, and I was talking to a, a guard outside the door, and I said, oh, you know, what, what do you think of this meeting? He says, you know, I, I really can't relate to it, but they put me here because I'm South Asian, and it was a meeting of South Asian sort of scholars and so forth. Wow. And he says, I can't really relate to it. But he says, actually, they didn't know it, but actually, I'm from Trinidad and <laughs> I'm not from India. Sure. And all these right. uh, Indians from Oxford, I don't know, they were talking about, you know, how uh, South Asians, uh, their income and education level was even higher than, than other, than other Asian groups like Chinese and Japanese. And then mm-hmm. this, uh, they, they had this uh, guard. There, especially, they thought they were doing him a favor because he he looked, you know, his phenotype was South Asian, but his experience uh, as a person mm-hmm. from born and raised in Trinidad was quite different. So I think that, uh, you know, I think the points that you bring up, uh, and also I would add things like, you know, class within Asian American communities is really important because, like, for instance, during the anti-Marcos movement, uh, Filipino Americans like Gil. Mangawak, he said it was much more hard for him than Filipinos from, say, middle class or elite mm-hmm. families from the Philippines who were involved mm-hmm. in the anti-Marcos movement because their families were back there. But Gil's family was here in the States. So, I mean, even within Filipino, uh, Filipino and other, you know, Asian communities, I think, uh, class and, you know, over, over decades of uh, migration and so forth is really, uh, kind of a big issue even now. You could see it for many communities, including South Asian, Chinese community, and, you know, uh, many, many communities, class, and the time of entry into America. And also America might not be your first point of entry. You know, you might have been in uh, Latin or Central America or Africa first before you actually got here. So it's really complicated. So thank you for bringing up all these different dimensions. Yeah, thank you for bringing up class and immigration as well. I think, you know, it's so important for us to continue to talk about um, intersectional identities and how that influences, um, you know, our Asian American experiences. 
Um, it's also really just important to recognize that um, as much as I said it today, but even more so like that Asian Americans as a community um, are not a monolith, that there are so many different diverse perspectives. There are so many different political perspectives as well. Um, as we know, there are some Asian Americans who are um, advocating to put an end to affirmative action, um, citing their belief that Asian Americans are uh, discriminated from um, being admitted into these elite universities. Um, but we also recognize that most Asian Americans um, do support affirmative action, recognizing um, that affirmative action is uh, a process in which many Asian Americans benefit from um, and other people of color benefit from. Um, and so, you know, I think that's something that we really need to acknowledge is some of these political differences, um, how those things are based on things like social class um, or immigration status. Um, I think we also have to advocate for when people, especially the media or government systems, um, misclassify certain issues as being um, Asian American issues when they're not, or they're specific to a uh, or they're, uh, they're, they're more specific to a, a subgroup of Asian Americans. So for example, um, you know, with these affirmative action cases, uh, there have been many headlines that say Asian Americans against affirmative action, um, when in reality, they're talking about that very small subset of Asian people, mostly uh, upper class people, many um, who are immigrants, uh, many who are East Asian or, uh, or uh, Indian, South Asian um, American um, who are uh, who want to put an end to affirmative action because of their belief that it's it's uh, discriminatory towards Asian Americans. Um, but but that in itself is problematic because that headline is inferring that all Asian Americans have um, these uh, these sorts of issues. Another thing to think about is even just with the uh, anti-Asian um, hate violence um, that has occurred and the media's depiction of this Black Asian conflict. Um, who are they talking about when they say this Black Asian conflict? Because there have been many Asian Americans throughout history who have formed uh, really strong and meaningful bonds and coalitions um, with Black American communities, um, and that's not their experience. So one of the things in my PowerPoint is I was going to share, show a photo of me from growing up, um, and my experience is one of being very much in a coalition with uh, Black people. Most of my friends in um, high school were Filipino or Black. Um, and so uh, when when I hear this narrative of Asians and Black people don't get along, like that doesn't fit um, my experience. Um, and so how does the media and other uh, folks uh, tend to you know paint that as the, being the majority experience um, when in reality, um, it might not be experience at all. And as I was talking, I was also thinking about, you know, another data or another resource um, to look into is uh, API Data. Um, they're an organization um, which uh, tries to disaggregate as much Asian American data as possible. Um, they're the organization um, which actually uh, you know, cited that most Asian Americans are for affirmative action and even broken down by ethnicity, most Asian American ethnic groups um, are pro-affirmative action. Um, and so just looking at that, um, through API data, you can see um, the diversity of Asian American communities, which group um, might be more aligned with um, not just political ideologies, but also just, you know, what are some of the health inequities that people may experience? What are some of the educational inequities um, that people might experience? Um, and, you know, for us to really, uh, you know, understand those differences so that we could advocate for everybody. You know, and then just as a final piece, um, you know, when we think about like the model minority myth, um, and 
um, the ways in which Asian Americans have been painted um, in that way. Um, what are some of the ways in which we as Asian Americans um, may um, perpetuate that myth, whether um, intentionally or unintentionally? Um, if, again, people paint this picture of Asian Americans as being smart or good at, good at math and sciences, um, even if it's done in more intentional or um, covert ways, um, how does that then uh, deter from people understanding that there are many Asian Americans um, who are not doing well educationally, or there are many Asian Americans who are living in poverty, um, or there are many Asian Americans um, who are uh, homeless or, um, you know, don't... Uh, have the resources um, that other Asian Americans have, or, or, or even um, dropping out of high school um, at rates that are more uh, that are aligned um, with other communities of color. Um, and so, for us to, to think about the ways that we might perpetuate the model minority myth ourselves. Well, I just want to acknowledge uh, what you mentioned earlier on in terms of um, sort of the omission of uh, Brown Asians and Filipino Americans in sort of like the media landscape. Um, last year, uh, May 2020, for Asian Pacific American Islander Heritage Month, uh, PBS uh, aired their docuseries, five-part docuseries, uh, Asian Americans, which recently won a Peabody Award. Uh, uh, their episodes, uh, if you looked at the whole thing, of course, it's condensed, right? But then in terms of Filipino American history, all they included was sort of like uh, the World's Fair, you know, when they had the exhibition, uh, um, the Filipino, you know, Americans over there. And then also uh, Larry Itliang in terms of the Delano uh, Great Porker Strike and sort of uh, a Filipino American who was a war veteran uh, in the docuseries. So it's sort of like uh, didn't include everybody in it. So yeah, you know, and that's something that, like, you know, I acknowledge um, the difficulties in having to represent the entire community. Um, we're talking about 50 ethnic groups. No one is ever going to feel fully included in that. Um, at the same time, to, to your point or your mentioning, um, that perhaps there, there could be even some acknowledgement of that in some ways, right? Um, that there, um, there was an article written uh, by Dr. E.J. David uh, that uh, actually did a breakdown of uh, the amount of minutes that were de devoted uh, to uh, the different ethnic groups within the Asian American community um, and found that there was a disproportionate amount of time spent on Chinese and Japanese Americans um, and a significantly disproportionate amount of time spent on Filipino, Southeast Asians and, and South Asians. Um, you know, one of the things that, that he had written about, I've written about in the past is when we look at the breakdown of uh, Asian American communities population wise, about one fifth of Asian American communities are of Chinese descent about a fifth of the communities are of South Asian descent, uh, descent. about a fifth are, uh, are Filipino, um, a little less than a fifth is Southeast Asian, um, and then the remaining one fifth or so um, are various, which can, um, include Japanese Americans, um, other East Asian groups, um, and so forth. Um, and so um, when you just look at that in itself, and not that it has to be a match, you know, uh, tit for tat, like 50% or 20% or of everything has to be, you know, of these groups. I mean, I think it's still, it's a good sort of aim um, that if we have this many Asian people of this background, perhaps we should at least try to have one-fifth of the documentary focusing on South Asian issues, um, or one-fifth of the documentary focusing on Southeast Asians. Um, and, and there's a certain intentionality that comes with that. 
um, that if you don't have an intentionality when um, putting together a panel or writing a paper or um, putting together a conference or whatever it might be, um, then your own biases might miss out on, on being inclusive. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, something that I can even just speak to um, from personal experience. You know, I, I'm the founder of the LGBTQ Scholars of Color Network. Um, so we're a group of individuals who for the past uh, seven years now um, have organized conferences um, and uh, online series um, to promote the experiences of queer and trans people in academia. Um, every single time we do anything, we have to be intentional of whether or not there is a good gender representation um, of cisgender men, cisgender women, trans people, non-binary people. You have to be intentional. Um, if we're not intentional, um, then we might miss a group and then that group might say, hey, you didn't represent us. Um, we also have to be intentional um, of looking at different people of different um, racial and ethnic groups and making sure that all of those groups um, are uh, represented. Um, and sometimes we miss the boat. Um, more recently, we did a, a Twitter storm and somebody pointed out how come you don't have any um, Native American indigenous people? Um, and we didn't have an answer. Um, we had a, a very diverse group of Black, Latinx, Asian Americans, um, but we didn't have any people of, uh, uh, who were Native American or um, indigenous or two-spirit. Um, and so, you know, we miss that because of our bias of just, you know, thinking about our because the people that coordinated the event were Black and Latinx and Asian. Um, and so we forgot or didn't think about, uh, you know, um, uh, Native American folks. So, so the intentionality is something that's, that's very, very important um, when we do anything. Um, and that intentionality is something that, you know, is oftentimes missing. So even within Asian American, um, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, um, if you just look at like flyers of different panels um, that existed, like, Who's on those panels? Um, does it represent all the different groups? Um, and when I talk about brown Asian folks, I'm talking about people within Asian American communities. And as I alluded to before, um, when we think about the larger term of Asian American specific islanders, which people you know, are very used to saying now, they say AAPI and they know um, that that means Asian American specific islanders, hardly ever are people who are Pacific Islanders represented um, in these sorts of discussions. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, to be mindful of why that is, how does that lead to uh, this exclusion? Um, and then, and then to a, a final point that I do talk about in the paper is, why don't we just say what we're talking about? Um, so instead of saying, um, you know, an AEPI panel, why can't we just say an East Asian American panel? Um, instead of saying, you know, um, experiences of, of uh, Asian Americans, and it's really just a few Chinese people, why don't we say a Chinese American panel or whatever it may be? Um, or if we have a study and the study has a majority East Asian American sample, which a lot of, I'll speak for psychology, um, is a very common thing. Um, how can we say that this is a, a study on Asian Americans if it's not representative, representative of um, the diverse Asian American uh, population? Um, and so say that the, this, this is a study um, on Chinese Americans. Um, as opposed to saying that it's an Asian American um, study, because as we know, based on um, all of these factors and specific to ethnicity, things like um, immigration status, social cultural factors, religion, and other, all these other things um, impact people's uh, experiences. Um, and so if everyone has these very unique experiences, um, we can't generalize uh, that something is really uh, representative of 
the entire Asian American community or Asian American Pacific Islander community, um, unless we have uh, that, that rich representation um, across uh, the different groups. So uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Great. Um, Professor Luis Francia has a question. Um, could you speak about the colonial context to Filipinos here in the United States and how that has contributed to uh, the Filipino American community's invisibility? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question, you know, and so that's another factor that we have to consider in general um, is colonialism and the impact of colonialism um, on Filipinos, but also on other groups and how they may view themselves in the context of um, not just Asian American communities, uh, but also in terms of um, just their place in American society, um, as well as, um, you know, their, uh, the influences of colonialism on things like colorism and racism and anti-Black racism um, specifically. So, you know, as, as, as folks I hope are aware, the Philippines was colonized uh, by Spain and by the United States, um, by Spain for almost four uh, centuries, by the United States for almost half a century. Um, and in many ways, uh, the Philippines is still colonized um, by the United States um, through its uh, influence in media and government and culture. Um, and so when we think about Filipinos specifically, um, you know, there's been a lot of work that looks at um, colonial mentality or the notion that uh, people who have who come from colonized groups or colonized countries um, may view their colonizer um, as being um, superior or ideal or normalized or the, the, the value to which one should um, aspire to be like. Um, and so as a result of colonialism and colonial mentality, some Filipino Americans may value things like white skin, might value things like um, speaking English or speaking English with perfect English accents, uh, American English accents, um, may value things um, like uh, social class or capitalism or educational attainment um, as a way of being closer to the colonizer. Um, and then thereby look negatively upon um, people who they view as being less colonized or closer to the indigenous. Um, so people who have darker skin, uh, wider noses, or uneducated, um, who uh, speak English, um, who don't speak English or speak English uh, poorly or with non-American accents, um, that they, uh, you know, they're, they're inferior in some ways. Um, and so when, when I think about um, the impact of colonialism um, on activism, um, that there are some Filipino Americans who are very complacent to um, many political issues, uh, Filipinos and Filipino Americans who are complacent to many political issues. Um, many Filipino and Filipino Americans um, may develop uh, this uh, mentality um, that aligns very much with um, white American uh, Republican conservative values, things like um, uh, if you're poor, you got yourself into that situation. Um, if you, uh, if, if you're struggling in the United States because you don't work hard enough, um, and all sorts of other, um, uh, of other ideologies, um, that actually are quite contrary to what indigenous Filipino cultural values are, which are, um, things like Kapwa, the idea of, um, uh, being connected, um, interpersonally to, to other Filipinos and other people in general, um, to Udangang which is this notion of, um, of being um, 
uh, of putting others before you, collectivism, um, reciprocity, and so forth. Um, and so, you know, I think these are all things to consider um, in terms of um, why some Filipinos, and I'll speak to Filipinos because that was the original question, um, but also just people of other colonized groups. Um, why are we trying so hard to be like white people? Why are we trying so hard? Um, and I'm saying we, because I also, you know, have been socialized um, to have colonial mentality, even though I've been trying to fight it all of my life. Um, but why But why is that? Um, and so to, to understand that, you know, after a group um, becomes colonized um, for so long, um, they, uh, they lose a sense of who they are or who they could be, and they view these colonizers as being ideal. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to really combat. Um, and especially as it might um, relate to things like colorism um, and, uh, and anti-Blackness, um, that many Filipino uh, people um, may value people who have lighter skin and view them as being more attractive, more intelligent, and so forth. Um, and so one, they might view people who are of their own ethnic background, other Filipinos as being um, less attractive, intelligent, um, value. Um, but then that also applies um, to other people with dark skin in general, that they view people with darker skin as being unintelligent, um, unattractive, um, or even criminal. Um, and so those are things that I think um, people need to challenge um, as well. Uh, and then related to just all of this, I, I didn't get to talk as much about colorism. Um, colorism is something that exists across all communities in some way, shape, or form. Um, some communities that were colonized or some uh, countries and ethnic groups that were colonized, it might be um, much more obvious um, because of some of those colonial messages that had been um, inherited by the group and then now are integral to uh, that culture's uh, value system. Um, but even groups that weren't necessarily colonized, they still learned messages um, about skin color, right? Um, so when we think about even like Chinese people, for example, who don't have a colonizer like the Philippines did um, or India did, um, that there are still many messages um, that have been passed down from generation um, about, uh, you know, the value of lighter skin versus darker skin. Um, and so, you know, it just goes to show how powerful, how powerful colorism is, that even for groups that were not colonized in the traditional sense, um, that they um, were, uh, you know, they, they still may experience some of these, uh, you know, these harmful messages. You go to Dr. Nadal's webpage uh, for this particular talk. At the bottom of the page, if you click on his bio, you'll find all the other talks that he's done at the Institute before. Uh, one that I want to point out to in particular, if you want to know more about uh, Filipino Americans in particular in New York City, uh, he did a talk in 2015 uh, in which uh, he uh, it's called the uh, Filipinos in New York City, uh, together with uh, the uh, Metropolitan New York chapter of the Filipino American National Historical Society, and that's available online to watch. And also in uh, his specialty, microaggressions, uh, you can actually watch that talk on our website as well. Uh, we all can learn a little bit more about the certain things we say or don't say, how we act. Uh, in, in particular. Uh, towards, you know, all groups, but uh, you know, for, for folks who uh, want to uh, learn more anti-racism sort of like uh, information and such, you can go, you know, that's a starter. Uh, okay, so with that, I would like to, Dr. Nagal, thank you very much. Uh, everyone, please enjoy your weekend, stay healthy, get vaccinated, and be upstander if you see a fellow person in need. And with that, uh, good night, and we'll see you uh, next time, folks. Have a good night.